0: From the Vaults, audio from Edmonton's past. This recording consists of an interview of William Schmiller conducted by John McIsaac on October 12, 1982. This material was recorded on a 5-inch open-reel tape and was digitized by an archivist on February 4th, 2021. This interview has been trimmed for length. To hear the entire recording, please contact the City of Edmonton Archives. And our interview today is
1: with Mr. William Schmiller,
0: Math. Uh, when, where you were born.
1: I was born at Murna, Alberta. That's about 120 miles northeast of Edmonton in 1921. My parents had homesteaded in that area back in the spring of 1908 when they had migrated from the Ukraine. I see. And and uh,
0: was all your brothers and sisters born here? Did they bring some children with my them? oldest
1: brother. Uh, was one year old when he came with the parents. The whole family moved. There were 31 people uh, in in the family when they all moved in 198. One of my uncles came in 1907 and then the rest of the family followed in the spring of 198. And then my oldest brother was one year old and then I had two sisters and two other brothers uh, born in Canada. And uh, my parents uh, homesteaded uh, from 1908 to 1911 they established the first uh, Greek Orthodox parish for the Basilian Fathers uh, and then it was Greek Catholic and Greek Orthodox uh, and then they went into the Roman Catholic, the, 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 all the churches were holding the uh, church services there and uh, the priests lived with us from 1911 to 1918 when the first church was built. In 1914, my father started the first grocery store in that area and he hauled groceries from Innisfree, uh, Manville, Vermillion and Vegreville from 1914 to 1927 when the first railway came through the CPR and then at the. Uh, uh, in 1928 he moved the uh, grocery store, or the general store rather, from the farm to the town and he Operated it for another four years, and then, and that was sold to the co-op association in 1932. And at the same time, he had built a big house in the uh, town of Myrna. And uh, at that time, they were looking for a suitable hospital location, so he built another house, and his and his house was converted into a hospital, and it uh, operated as a hospital for four years until the community hospital was built there, and it still stands.
0: Really? And I take it you were educated in Myrna, Murray? Yes,
1: I I received my uh, education. I was in my uh, uh, grade 12 when uh, I decided to join the army, and I joined the army in Ventura Seas.
0: You joined the army in 1942, was it? That's right. What branch
1: of the army did you serve? Uh, I, uh, well, I joined uh, the army, I was uh, took my basic training at the uh, uh, Prince of Wales Armouries here in Edmonton, and we opened up the camp in Wetaskan, and I went to Calgary, and I trained at the uh, uh, Curry Barracks in Calgary, where I received my NCO, and I received my officer's training in, in uh, Calgary. Uh, however, uh, we had uh, a arbitration in in Calgary where a number of us went out to celebrate and we got into trouble so we were all demoted and shipped overseas with the Calgary Highlanders as infantry. Uh, I arrived in England in Christmas of 1943 and uh, in January of 1944 the First Canadian Army was being formed and because I uh, speak, read and write the Slavic languages uh, I was one of those drafted into the Canadian Intelligence Corps. And in the, in- the Canadian Intelligence Corps, we had uh, 44 other, off- uh, other ranks and 90 officers. And between us, we could speak, read, and write every dialect in Europe.
0: Really? And what sort of work did you do in the Intelligence
1: Corps? Uh, we uh, were involved, uh, there were four faces there was uh, a civic administration and a. Uh, uh, and uh, I was mostly with civic administration and when we went into uh, Normandy we landed in Normandy uh, three weeks after the, uh, uh, the uh, D-Day invasion and as soon as uh, a town was liberated we would go in and clean out uh, banks and the post offices and the, to prevent looting mm-hmm. and, uh, and so the, the money was turned over to civil affairs division and then they negotiated with the government gave the money back Uh, the mail was all taken from the post offices and where it was a lot of military mail from uh, uh, the uh, forces of occupation there it was all uh, uh, perused and any information that could be gathered uh, from it was used Mm -hmm. for our uh, own intelligence purposes
0: how uh, about safe deposit boxes, that sort of thing? Did you open those as well? No, when they was, uh, they,
1: they, when anything that was properly secured, those weren't opened. But we would, we would uh, post a guard on it, and until uh, members of the uh, civil affairs division would come in and they would take it over, and they would uh, contact some official, they'd open up all the uh, safes and, and count all the money and then turn it over. Back to the government, and this went right through France, Belgium, Holland, and right into Germany.
0: Mm-hmm. I understand that you ran out of a little bit of luck in uh, France.
1: Yes, we were. It was in France. Uh, while we uh, we had a number of escapades in France and and Belgium, and uh, into Holland, and uh, we were uh, bombed out in the in the uh, spring of uh, uh, forty five in Holland. We got there in the winter of '44, uh, in the f- uh, winter of '44, and in the spring of '45, we were bombed out. Uh, I was suffering from bad cold at that time, and, uh, and then uh, uh, we had gone into Germany, and we were just getting documents out of a post office when it was hit by uh, an 88, and the post office collapsed on top of us. I was buried uh, when I was uh, finally uh, taken out. From there, there was four of us that were trapped in the post office, and when I was taken out, my whole right side was uh, quite badly uh, hurt, and I went in into the hospital, and because I had a bad cold at that time from the flooding in Holland, it developed into pleurisy and infusion, and I spent the next uh, six months flat in my back uh, convalescing in England uh, I was well I started in in uh, uh, Holland and then I was flown back to Belgium to a, a, a hospital in Bruges uh, which was an old uh, historic town in in Belgium from there I was shipped by uh, uh, by ambulance and boat to England and I was at the First Canadian General Hospital in England for a few months and then when I had regained enough strength I was then Came back to Canada by uh, the Lady Nelson hospital ship to Halifax, and by train to Calgary. And I spent uh, three months at the Colonel Newburn Pavilion in Calgary. And I was shipped to the uh, I mean to, to the uh, uh, Colonel Belcher in, in Calgary. And I was shipped to the Colonel Newburn in Edmonton. At the Colonel Newburn, there in my chest I I had a relapse. So then I was shipped to. Uh, for a while I was in the General Hospital under Dr. Uh, uh, Hamilton and Dr. Easton, and then I spent a few months in the Charles Camsell Hospital under Dr. Melzer and Mattass. So I, I, had, I spent uh, all of uh, 45 and into 46 in the hospital.
0: Did you get any medal or award for being injured?
1: Uh, no, the Canadian Army does not have medals or awards for injuries like the like the uh, American Army has the Purple Heart, but uh, I uh, earned five military medals while uh, uh, serving overseas.
0: Math? For what Well, they, they were, they were the,
1: the Volunteer Medal, the, and then the 39 to 45 medal, and then the Overseas Medal, and then the Invasion Medal, so uh, uh, the... Uh, I I I have five of them.
0: You Must
1: be very proud of that. I think you should be. Yes. Every time I put them on on November 11th, my family refers to me as general.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and did you leave the uh, Canadian Armed Forces as an NCO? Uh,
1: no, I was discharged as as a private mm-hmm. uh, in the uh, uh, from the forces and. Uh, uh, what uh, full uh, hospitalization I still have my Canada pension plan I was discharged with hundred uh, percent disability, and I grew the disability for five years and then as my uh, my earning power returned, my disability was cut down and it was reduced to uh, the monetary uh, uh, portion of it was reduced to nil, but I still uncovered for full uh hospital and medical services if I ever want to go back to the DBA.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you suffer any f- physical pains as a result of your injury?
1: Occasionally I, I, ha- I have adhesions and I get chest pains but they're very slight. I've been trying to keep myself very active so as not to uh, because it's uh, if I sit around for a long time or, or I sort of get cramped up and that's why I have to keep moving all the time.
0: At the end of the war, did you uh, return to school?
1: No, uh, when I came out of the army, I I I was planning on going to school, and then I decided I I wanted to uh, probably uh, go into journalism, because I wrote quite a few articles for the uh, Maple Leaf newspaper when I was overseas, and I had a typewriter with me and I wrote quite a few short stories. I uh, tried to get on with the journal, but there were so many reporters getting on at that time. Uh, My other uh, preference was accounting, so I uh, uh, started taking public accounting, and then I uh, uh, went to it full-time, and that's what I've been doing all along.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, Also after the war, uh, in addition to your accounting business, you uh, made your first stab at politics.
1: Yes, well, when when I was convalescing in 1946, Uh, To keep myself occupied, I joined uh, uh, many clubs and associations, and I was on the original United Nations Association in Edmonton with Cora Castleman and and the group there, Marjorie Bowker, and uh, some of these people, Mr. Burr... Oh, I just forget the names now. But anyway, Cora uh, Castleman was the one that went down to San Francisco to the first United Nations session. Mm -hmm. And so I was with the United Nations Association. I joined a number of other clubs.
0: Were you a founding member of the UN club in Edmonton?
1: Uh, I was an early member. I don't know, I I, I don't recall if I was a founding member, but I was an early member. Mm -hmm. And I belonged to a number of other associations. And at that time, uh, attending various meetings, I happened to meet Harry Ainley. Mm -hmm. who was uh, uh, the mayor at that time and because of my interest in politics uh, he asked me to uh, participate in his campaigns and I uh, uh, worked in 1946 and 47 on Harry Ailey's campaign. Uh, While I was in the forces, I had the opportunity of meeting Marcel Lambert because he was an armed forces representative Mm -hmm. and the late uh, Senator Harper Prowse Mm-hmm. Uh, when he campaigned for military representation in Parliament in fo- I believe that was in 44 and 45, yes.
0: Mm-hmm. And so, so you campaigned for Harry Ainley. Could you just give us a thumbnail sketch of, of what Harry Ainley was like?
1: Uh, he was a very easy-going man, tall, slim, uh, very knowledgeable, and uh, very concerned about the about the uh, state of affairs in the city of edmonton and then with his uh, uh, teaching background uh, i found him to be a, a a most suitable mayor at that time he may not have been as dynamic there were other people on council at that time that were a little more dynamic i worked for uh, for harry as as, as an uh, uh, a mayor Uh, I also became very good friends with Julia Koniski at that time, and another friend that I developed at that time was Bill Harlack. I met Bill in 1946, and uh, I got to know him, and then starting in... uh, I uh, I worked for Bill practically every year thereafter, when he ran for city politics. Mm -hmm. And they talked me into running, uh, trying in 1948, and I... uh, I ran and uh, Bill that was Bill Harlex uh, at my uh, first uh, entry into politics and I believe Bill beat me by about uh, 450 votes at that time.
0: Mm-hmm. But you both lost,
1: right? Yes. Yeah. No, Bill got elected. Did he really? He uh, he had run in 47 I think he lost in 47 but he he was the sixth alderman to be elected in 1948. I believe that was his first year. Well, it was either that year or the following year because he was the last man to make it, the, the, the lowest of the elected, and I was the next one under.
0: Mm-hmm. So you just missed it. Yes. Um, do you recall some of the issues in that 1948 campaign? Uh,
1: yes, uh, one of the burning issues was uh, a city hall. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, uh, they were talking about uh, developing a city hall because uh, the uh, old city hall was in uh, Uh, what later became the police station and uh, uh, there was a candidate uh, for mayor at that time by the name of Speed, Fritz Speed I believe and he was advocating that if he was elected mayor he would uh, uh, expropriate McDonald Hotel and convert that into uh, uh, into a city hall and Julia Kineski was running at that time, there were other people, Uh, um, Sid Parsons and uh, Mr. Uh, Bissett, and uh, I just don't recall him right off the bat, but it was very interesting, and I learned, uh, another friend I made at that time, in 1948, there was a young journal reporter who was just starting out I, 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 with the Edmonton Journal, and he was assigned to cover the uh, uh, campaign speeches, and that was Hal Possum. Really? And that was Hal had just moved up from Regina, and he was a cub reporter on the Journal, and he was uh, covering the election.
0: Mm-hmm. I uh, my research showed a, a few other issues, uh, issues that more or less stayed the same for you. If, uh, if and correct me if I'm wrong. Things like you advocated more low rental housing.
1: Low rental housing, there was also the uh, bus fares. I believe the bus fares were at 10 cents and we wanted to increase them. We felt that in order to expand bus services into new outlying areas, we would have to increase the bus service uh, to 15 cents. Uh, There was the matter of uh, roads. Uh, There was a a great shortage of roads, uh, arterial highways at that time. There was a shortage of bridges, uh, uh, traffic jams uh, uh, from the south side to north side and vice versa and also uh, insufficient roads uh, uh, north across the railroad track because if you remember 82nd street and 97th and 127th were all uh, roads over the railroad track. And uh, the long freight trains that used to come in used to block traffic for hours at a time, and it was a burning issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, pollution was another one at that because there were plants coming in, and it was. Uh, I would say that the issues over the years have uh, remained almost uh, identical, right back from. 46, from the first year that I remember right up till now, I would say that the majority of the issues are still the same. And financing. Financing was a huge problem, taxes was a huge problem, and uh, but it was most interesting. Uh, the only thing is that some of the candidates at that time, uh, as I recall, uh, did not uh, research I don't think they researched the issues as closely as as uh, uh, they do now, Beca- uh, and because people are becoming more concerned. And I remember going back to Fred Speed; uh, he was one of them that uh, uh, he used to carry a Bible in his pocket. And if he uh, uh, he ha- was allowed ten minutes, and if he only spoke for three or four minutes, he would take the Bible and use up the rest of his time. Because he felt he was entitled up to full ten minutes. Indeed, uh,
0: one of the other issues was uh, the idea that to vote, one had or to run for public office rather, one had to be a property owner. And uh, if uh, newspaper is correct from the day, you were in favor of abolishing the property qualifications for candidates. Do you recall facing that stance?
1: Yes, and and uh, because at the, 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 the my objections to that clause was the property owners were given preference and were made uh, first class citizens. And if you were a property owner in the city of Edmonton, you could have lived in Calgary or California or Vancouver, but you could come on election day and vote because you were a property owner. And the same applied if you were a property owner you could you could uh, run for office and you did not necessarily have to be a resident of the city of Edmonton Mm. and I felt that uh, that was discrimination and that whether you were a property owner or not did not make any difference I I felt that more emphasis should be placed on a person living within the city rather than owning property and uh, the the, the argument was that a property owner pays the taxes well uh, the, the tenants indirectly pay taxes also, and I was in favor of uh, removing the 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 uh, uh, property qualification. But I felt that there should be a, a deposit uh, and a, depa- a deposit and uh, uh, enough signatures to uh, weed out uh, the uh, candidates that were not serious. The uh, we have had, unfortunately, in the city of Edmonton, at least one, if you want to use the term loosely, crackpot <laughs> a candidate in every election.
0: Mm-hmm. Indeed, we have sometimes more than one, <laughs> I think, Mr. Schmiller. <laughs> in 1977, you ran again.
1: Yes, I was asked to run, I believe it was for the uh, for the school board, mm-hmm. the public school board and uh, at that time we had a number of civic organizations going and if I recall correctly it was the uh, Civic Democratic Alliance. Uh, There were a number of knowledgeable people and they felt that they wanted to get more young parents involved in uh, school affairs because there again there were people uh, serving on the school board who had no children going to school, and, and some people felt that bec- they were not totally involved in the school system. And and I uh, ran again, of course, I was defeated uh, again.
0: I'm sorry, what year was that? I'm not too sure what year that was. So it, I, I didn't think it was 77.
1: I don't know. It, it was... It, uh, I think it was... 48? Uh, I think it was 50.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: 58. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, that was in, in 57 or 58.
0: Mm-hmm. And your own children—they went to the public school system. That's right. They did,
1: eh? Yes, I. Uh, uh, my children uh, have uh, all five of them have gone through the public school system, in in uh, uh, Edmonton. They are all uh, uh, senior matriculation graduates. Uh, three of them are graduates of the U of A. My uh, uh, my oldest daughter just has her senior matriculation, and she got married. She's married to a, a chap who uh, my son-in-law was a former pilot with the Royal, Royal Canadian Air Force. He now flies for a private firm. Uh, my second daughter is a CA. She currently works for the provincial government. Uh, my oldest son is a uh, uh, has a bachelor of commerce degree. He's in business with me. Uh, and my other son is a uh, engineering and, uh, graduate, and he is now the uh, Chief project manager for one of the construction's company in town, and our youngest son is uh, uh, taking uh, mechanical engineering, and he's in his third year of mechanical engineering at oh. the university. You
0: can be proud of each and every one of them.
1: Yes, okay. yes. Uh, the, uh, I've always believed in education. My my father had great for education in Europe, and he was after us for education in in Canada. My ambition was to go to university and graduate either in accounting or law but uh, it, it never or uh, then I aspired to be uh, a journalist but neither of those materialized so uh, I did take public accounting and I uh, took extension courses at the University of Alberta and I've been uh, operating uh, my own accounting firm and business consulting since uh, 1951 mm-hmm. and now it's a family business my wife works at it full time and now we have our daughter and our son working with mm-hmm.
0: us. Is your business offices in your home?
1: Yes, we uh, for convenience purposes uh, I purchased a duplex mm-hmm. and one half of the duplex is uh, offices and the other half is our residence. Mm-hmm. So that we have uh, I have built a, a business over the years I've got about 750 clients and they're all f- uh, family businesses uh, I'm with some of the families I, I I'm dealing with the fourth generation and uh, uh, it's uh, they come to me for advice and uh, they visit so it's it's uh, uh, I'll have customers dropping in any time f- uh, from six o'clock in the morning till two o'clock in the morning because they know I live next door and uh, I have a lot of rural customers who will come into town for some other uh, purpose and then drop their books off or come in and consult with me. In fact, that's one of the reasons I'm late today. I've had <laughs> people in my office practically all day that I couldn't mm-hmm. get rid of. Indeed.
0: But well, one of the other things you aspired to do and you were successful at was uh, becoming an alderman. And that was, happened in 1977 when you ran for public office. And that time you were backed by the Edmonton Civic Government Association, I believe. Yes. Now, why did you wait so long? You waited 29 years or so between elections.
1: Well, whatever I undertake, I always feel that I would like to give it my best shot. And because I was involved in so many other things, I was... uh, uh, You see, when I came out of the hospital, um, I went to work for the government, and I worked for the government for five years. And then I decided to go into private business and I set up my own real estate uh, accounting and insurance firm. And uh, I was in business for four years and then I suffered a serious relapse and my doctor warned me to take it uh, easy. So then I I convalesced for a while and then I went back to work for the government and I started working with uh, the Department of Social Services and Community Health in 1954 and uh, because the department was expanding I was very lucky I had a number of uh, promotions to where I uh, became the superintendent of the pensions division and then I went on to be a program director but to keep busy in the evenings and weekends I I still uh, I retained I sold the uh, real estate portion and the uh, insurance portion and I retained the accounting portion my wife was handling that and my children were involved with it and, and I feel that it helped them in their studies uh, they've been involved from the time they were going to school and I, I devoted a lot of time to my to my family I, was, I thought that uh, uh, I should uh, spend as much time with them as possible in fact I wound up uh, being the sports director of the community league and for fifteen years I umpired little league ball games and I uh, uh, I used to umpire three to four times, at, uh, four evenings a week just across the road from where I live because we live right across the road from the school and then as a bonus they let me umpire on Saturdays and Sundays at Red Fruit Park so that kept me occupied and then I still carried on my work I've always been active with uh, the legions. Uh, I've uh, ser- can we back up to the community league stuff first? Mm-hmm. I'd like to
0: get a little bit more information on that. You were an executive member of the Bonnie Doon Community League.
1: I, I started with Stratton. I was I was with uh, with the Stratton Community League uh, for about ten years, from about nineteen sixty to seventy one, and then from seventy one on, I've been living in the Bonnie Doon area, and I've been I was on the executive for a number of years, uh, in on the Bonnie Doon Community League. In fact, uh, one of the funny uh, incidents that happens in life. I was on the committee that planned the renovation of the Bonnie Doon Community League uh, going into berms and putting in new skating rings and new playground equipment and I was on the committee uh, and we approved the original plan in 1972 that was submitted to Parks and Recreation uh, to City Council and when I was elected in 1977 I found that plan sitting uh, on the back burner, one of the plans that was ready for consideration, but they were waiting for adequate funds. Mm-hmm. So then I I went to work and I had that plan pushed through in '78. And uh, original plans that I had worked on in '72 were finally completed, and the park was uh, renovated in 1979 and 1980. Mm-hmm
0: must have been very
1: gratifying. It was, it, it sort of, you know, I went right through all the stages but uh, uh, because of my involvement with the community leagues and I, and I still uh, served with a number of, uh, of uh, associations downtown and then I became very active with the Royal Canadian Legion and I served, I've been on the executives with the Royal Canadian Legion for over 20 years.
0: At the Norwood branch in particular, yeah. I
1: started out with Montgomery And then in 1958, I transferred to Norwood. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, you became the president. uh,
1: Uh, Yes, I served three years as president in Norwood. I I was president in Norwood in 1976 and 77. My term was up, uh, but they uh, had made an... uh, They brought in a special uh, exemption to the uh, bylaws to let me serve for another year because of our involvement with the Commonwealth Games for 78. I was serving on three committees with the Commonwealth Games and uh, in fact Norwood Legion was used as the photographic center for uh, the Commonwealth Games and all the uh, uh, news media used it to, uh, to relay all their photographs we had 35 uh, machines that relayed uh, photographs of all the events to all the participating uh, countries
0: I didn't
1: know that. Yes, well, uh, uh, Norwood was the photographic center. Uh, and then, uh, so I, I worked with, uh, with the PR and then with the facilities. And also, uh, while serving on, on the various committees with the Commonwealth Games, we found out that at no time had the, coast, the coaches and managers ever been hosted at any uh, Olympics or Pan Am Games or Commonwealth Games. the the athletes get the medals, the country is recognized uh, uh, by the playing of the national anthem and raising of the flag the VIPs are all hosted, everybody is hosted and there was a forgotten segment uh, uh, of coaches and managers so uh, the Royal Canadian Legion felt that because we were involved in the youth development program and we hired Uh, Jeff Dyson from England to come and set up an athletic program for the legions across Canada and having known uh, Jeff quite well uh, we then proposed to host a night for coaches and managers Mm -hmm. and we were given full approval, Uh, we were recognized as one of the official functions of the Commonwealth Games we uh, set up a committee and we uh, 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 we were told that there were 360 coaches and managers at the Commonwealth Games. We invited them all. We also invited uh, Her Majesty the Queen to be a guest. She couldn't make it but Prince Philip agreed to attend. Uh, we had to go through a severe uh, uh, protocol mm-hmm. program. The, uh, the premises were inspected. I wasn't aware that uh, wherever royalty goes that all the premises have to be inspected ahead of time. And we held a night, uh, we held a program at the Polish Hall. We had over 400 people attend there. Uh, Prince Philip was to spend half an hour with us. When he came down, he enjoyed the evening so much. He sat down and he had a few beers with the boys. Mm -hmm. And he stayed uh, stayed an hour and a half. In fact, uh, uh, his uh, security officers were worried. They came twice to check to make sure that everything was fine with Prince Philip.
0: Did you get to meet him personally? Yes,
1: I, I, I met Prince Philip personally. We had uh, we had a nice program, a lot of the legionnaires, a lot of the coaches who had never uh, had an opportunity to meet him, met them there, and uh, uh, it was a very nice evening and we uh, devised a special memento. Uh, we had, uh, I designed a, a paperweight with the legion button and the uh, commonwealth games button and a suitable inscription and we had 500 of those made and uh, there's only 500 in existence and one of them is in Buckingham Palace. Oh, there you
0: go. So what did you talk to the prince
1: about? Uh, we were glad that he was able to make it and he said he was always interested in, in uh, uh, sports and he thought it was very notable that the legions would recognize the coaches and then he said that it would give him an opportunity to meet a lot of legionnaires as well as a lot of the He's coaches. a veteran
0: himself, you know.
1: Yes, and uh, uh, he, had, uh, he had simply a, a marvelous uh, time, because when he was going he said that was one of the most enjoyable evenings that he had had during the games. I didn't know that he drank beer either. Well, he said, be. yes he did, he, uh, and, he, and he prefers beer. <laughs> <laughs> <Really>?
0: <laughs> Not even a bottled Canadian, eh? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, uh, what other committees did you serve on for the Commonwealth Games?
1: Well, I was on the facilities committee so that I could, uh, and we got Norwood Legion into it. I was with the PR section. I worked with uh, uh, because of the photographs and stuff like this, and then the, the special hosting. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I tried to help out wherever I could. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: It uh, must have been like old home week for you with Hal Parsons and uh, yes, all yes. Those guys. In fact,
1: I I'll tell you. Uh, uh, when I knew that the Commonwealth Games were coming to Edmonton, I wanted to get as much background information. So, uh, my wife and I, since 1960, have taken a holiday every year. Well, from nine, uh, for uh, about five years preceding the Commonwealth Games, we uh, scheduled our holidays in such a manner as to go to uh, a location where the Olympics or the Commonwealth Games had been held, so that I could get background information. Like uh, we visited Rome in 1972 and I went through all the uh, the Olympic facilities there. In 1975 we were in Berlin and I uh, went uh, uh, to the uh, Olympic Stadium in Berlin. I went through all the facilities. In fact, I stood at the very spot where uh, uh, Hitler stood. and. Uh, uh, in, uh, during the Olympics uh, uh, in Berlin. Uh, I visited the, uh, the uh, uh, in uh, various other places. I went to Edinburgh, I was in London. Uh, I uh, went to Sapporo, Japan. And I also attended, on uh, at my own expense, uh, the Commonwealth Games in Christchurch. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I got to Christchurch, Hal Pawson had me accredited as a, as a delegate. So I was able to take in all the venues. I, I, we, we were in Christchurch for 12 days mm. and uh, I got to know many of the Canadian athletes and uh, in fact we shared an aco- accommodation with a family by the name of Pace uh, from, uh, from uh, Swift Current and their son was one of the Canadian wrestlers who won a gold medal and uh, I met, uh, and I spent a lot of time in the swimming because I knew the late uh, Dr. Smith uh, in fact I sat in a, in a booth with Ted Reynolds and Irene McDonald through about a dozen events uh, incidentally I was also accredited as a foreign correspondent for the, uh, for the Ukrainian newspaper here in Edmonton so I was able to uh, use the media facilities uh, both in uh, uh, in in uh, Christchurch and then at uh, uh, Osaka, Japan during the uh, uh, Expo 1970.
0: Uh, you mentioned the Ukrainian news here in town. Do you do you or have you written for them? Or yes, you,
1: you know? I I have written a number of articles for them, and uh, when the uh, uh, Reverend Suplak was the editor, uh, I. Uh, uh, cooperated with him on a number of, uh, of articles that were published in the newspaper.
0: Mm-hmm. Indeed. I'd like to uh, return, if we uh, could Mr. Schmiller, to the 77 uh, election, that's mm-hmm. where we, we started to talk about, and look at some of those issues, you know, uh, some of them which are still uh, pretty pretty hot issues. For instance, the uh, McKinnon Ravine, you favored the completion of the McKinnon Ravine Freeway. Uh, could you tell us why you uh, took that stance and whether or not you still hold that?
1: Position? Yes. Uh, I have traveled extensively uh, in Europe, in Africa, in Asia. Uh, I've uh, gone right across Canada from Victoria to St. John's, Newfoundland about five times. I've traveled through many cities in the States. I've, I've I've been to uh, Sacramento, Los Angeles, uh, San Francisco, San Diego, Chicago, uh, um, uh, New York uh, uh, and I found that in most of these cities they have utilized the ravines to a great extent for freeways and uh, in fact uh, one of the most notable ones is in Detroit where you have every ravine in Detroit has been now utilized as a freeway. Toronto held back for years and years and they have gone... I remember when I visited some relatives of mine that live in Don Mills in Ontario. At that time there was a fierce battle raging as to whether the freeway should go through the Don Mills. Now it's one of the most used freeways in Toronto. Uh, Same thing in Quebec and and, uh, Quebec City and Montreal. Uh, they have utilized to great advantage and I feel that in Edmonton we have been lax in that area. I remember the fight that raged about the Capilano freeway. Now the the Capilano area was only used for dumping snow. It was, uh, the undergrowth was too thick uh, it was unsafe to go down there since the Capilano Freeway has been put through the Capilano Ravine The, the uh, banks have been beveled. It's been all landscaped There are there a hundred times more people using the uh, recreational facilities in the Capilano Ravine uh, after the highway was built did before and I feel uh, that there are two more the, the Grope Ravine is, is a perfect example there was uh, a lot of opposition I feel there are two more uh, ravines in Edmonton and that is the McKinnon Ravine and the Mill Creek Ravine where a four-lane highway could bu- put through there to, to bring in uh, uh, the traffic into the city and out of the city and uh, what the building of the road that that the uh, recreational uh, amenities could be vastly improved now ninety percent or ninety-five percent of the people in Edmonton do not know that there are picnic tables in the Mill Creek ravine because you can't find them and the one road that led in there is is now blocked off from the east side there's only one entrance from the west side mm-hmm. and and uh, there are beautiful places in there now the city has dumped what, two and a half million dollars into the McKinnon Ravine and it's sitting there as a mound. Uh, It could be used, if they don't want to have it as a freeway, it could be used as a four-lane arterial road with an extra lane for the buses. And it could improve the traffic situation in Edmonton by a good 15 to 20 percent.
0: It's been suggested by uh, some quarters that perhaps uh, rapid transit, for instance, going from the west end downtown and using your suggestive Mill Creek, uh, say from Millwood to, to Edmonton as an alternative to these freeways that are proposed. Uh, what do you think of that sort of a
1: Well, if you want to follow the, uh, Seattle, and if you know that Seattle has an underground tunnel running through the city, main part of the city, with a main road over the top. If you were building, you could build the same thing in Edmonton where you could uh, say you could take the uh, the Mill Creek ravine from the low-level bridge to the Argyle Road Mm -hmm. and you could build, uh, you could put in uh, the LRT, you could put in a bus route, and you could put in a four-lane highway. You see, I feel that a, a balanced transportation system in Edmonton is lacking. The administration is working for it, but it's still lacking. And with proper ring roads to take your truck traffic and use the ravines. I think the biggest uh, objection to the use of the ravines, uh, bes- uh, uh, fr- uh, besides the ecologists, are the residents were afraid of the noise. But by limiting to car traffic only or uh, uh, nothing over a ton, I think that that we could improve our roadways. Uh, considerably when we complete a, a complete uh, a ring road around the city one outer ring road one inner ring road uh, you've got the examples like you've got your uh, white mud freeway you've got your yellowhead uh, route and by utilizing the ravines we could make a big difference to the Edmonton traffic situation mm. si.
0: okay um also uh, one of your, your favorite issues was raised in '77, and that was more low-income housing. That's right. You know, uh, that's one thing that didn't change in almost 30. Well,
1: years. when I when I was on council, I pushed for for a non uh, for low-income housing. I believe that uh, that there should be a lot of low-income housing because no matter how well we plan our society, there will always be a low-income group, and uh, in fact, I volunteered to serve on the non-profit housing corporation that was set up by the City of Edmonton. We planned six different projects that are now under construction, and uh, uh, some of them that have been completed. I have since visited them, and I'm very satisfied that this is the proper way to go. The City has a lot of land that they could utilize, and with the financing that's available through Central Mortgage and Housing, and through the Alberta Housing Corporation, they could develop. And I'm now concerned about uh, inner core development. We've got Macaulay, Boyle Street area. They could remove all the slums out of that area and provide some first-class low rental housing in there.
0: Indeed. Now, uh, you also favored the construction of the Convention Center, which, you know, is being yes. built now. Uh, now, in retrospect, seeing how the cost has, uh, well, shall we say, increased dramatically, to say the least, would you still favor the uh, convention center?
1: Unfortunately, th- everything that can possibly go wrong with the Edmonton Convention Center did go wrong.
0: Whose phone is that, Mr. Schnorr? Uh,
1: there are a number of, of uh, areas at the convention center. I was going to say that I had attended, uh, I had had examined, and I spent half a day in the Convention Center in Hong Kong. I spent half a day in the Convention Center in uh, Paris. Uh, I toured the Convention Center in uh, San Francisco, in uh, Las Vegas. I have a very good concept of Convention Centers, and I've been at at a Convention Center in Winnipeg and Toronto and Montreal. the problem in, in uh, Edmonton was that there were so many factions that were involved in the original planning of the convention center. It was going to be a trade center, and then it was going to be a cultural center, and then it was going to be a convention center, and they tried to amalgamate as many things as possible. Basically, I feel that uh, the original planning that uh, there was not enough attention paid by the administration. I also hold Mr. Wensley at fault. I don't think that... Uh, I have great respect for Mr. Wensley as an architect, but I don't think that he was totally honest with uh, Convention Center Authority, with Council and with the administration in the presentation of his plans. I. I refuse to consider the fact that the convention center escalated from 25 million to 32 million to 55 to 81 million in a space of 5 years. I think that that they were that the council and the administration was given global figures Without an adequate back, uh, uh, breakdown, and when they went into the breakdown, uh, the, the, the breakdown, they found that there was a lot of items that had not been considered.
0: When you mentioned the administration, uh, is there anybody in particular you feel should have been more responsible? The
1: commissioners. You see, the same fiasco has developed. Uh, the commission board and the council has representation on the uh, convention center authority uh, 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 on, on the authority uh, just like they have representation on the edmonton exhibition board now the fiasco that has developed toward the exhibition board it is such the the uh, the projects uh, are, are so big now that you have to spend literally hundreds of hours in digesting all the information and i think that as the exhibition board, to some extent, has been given a snow job, city council, so did the, the architects and the planners of the convention center. Their prime objective was to get the convention center at any cost. And I, I disagree with that. I favor a convention center. And I think the convention center could have been developed very easily if the people that were planning it had been more honest. And, and this problem would not have developed.
0: The financing for the Convention Center is supposed to come from a variety of levels of government as well as a business tax, is that, is that correct? That's right. Now, uh, with the increased cost, do you think that financing should stay the same? Or do you think due to the increased cost it should now become a tax burden for the whole city? No,
1: I, I, uh, I'll tell you what's happened. There again, this is where the fault lies. There was representation made to the federal government uh, with a request for financial assistance for the Convention Center. The reply was, yes, the federal government finances Convention Centers to a certain extent if an appropriate uh, uh, financing is also obtained from the provincial government. The people who did the negotiating did not get it in writing it was a verbal commitment they went and there again this is where some of these people play games and and this is what one of the things that i found a little uh, frustrating about sitting in council you find that that uh, that a person's word is not as good as it appears both from council from administration and from the people who negotiate the information that was provided to me, because I started on the convention center long before I got on council. I attended a number of uh, meetings at the uh, library when it was going to be a cultural center because I'm involved with a number of cultural groups. And I serve on the board of directors of a number of cultural groups. And I was involved in that. And the planning that was going into it, I, I saw the basic planning. And I sp- I spent many hours with Lawrence Decor on, on and... Uh, Christian Joshi and all these people, uh, Nina Temporley from the uh, f- uh, Folk Arts Group. Uh, I was I served on the Council for Canadian Unity, and they were involved in developing Canada Day. And we figured the Canada Day would be a, a terrific event for the uh, uh, for the Convention Center. We could use the facilities, and uh, with the Aviation Hall of Fame, there were all kinds of plans. And the story that was given to me was the federal government was prepared to finance up to one-third not to exceed twenty or twenty one thousand dollars but at that time nobody was looking at a figure like that.
0: And twenty one thousand? I mean twenty one million. Right. right. Okay. You
1: see they said that. That they would, that they had financed uh, uh, some convention center up to twenty one million dollars. But they said one-third. If the province meets one-third and the city meets one-third. So then the people that were doing the negotiating. They said we have a verbal commitment from the federal government for one third, will the province go one third?
0: Who were those people doing that negotiation? That
1: started way back during the uh, during uh, uh, Bill Harlock's term, and and Bill had carried out some of the negotiations personally, but then there's others that were followed through by administration.
0: That's on uh, Mayor, Mayor last term in seventy eight or so.
1: The uh, yes, uh, and I no no in in seventy five and seventy four and back in seventy two. And then, uh, then they approach the province, and the province says, "Fine, we'll go one third just like they had a ver- they had a verbal commitment on the Colosseum. Now, when the Colosseum was being planned, they said it's going to be mainly as for agricultural, you know, to tie in what the what the uh, uh, Edmonton Exhibition. You had agricultural shows, you had uh, recreational uh, events. Uh, a big component of amateur and the federal government said okay we'll put up one third the provincial one third and the city one third well when the Colosseum is being used exclusively for professional the federal government has refused to put in and they never have and uh, they uh, put in their one-third share. and you see the the planning was was left a lot to be desired It was not tied down, and then when the when the uh, cost started to escalate, they said, "Well, look, we're out of it. We don't want to have anything to do with it, and we have nothing, uh, nothing committed in writing." So it left the city high and dry. Mm -hmm. But then you see, they were the the city was anticipating somewhat of a of an uh, increase. And that's when they went to the Chamber of Commerce to all the businessmen. In fact, as a businessman, I voted, fine, 1% of my business tax. I've been paying 1% of my business tax towards the Convention Center. Although, the Convention Center will not benefit me at all, either directly or indirectly, because the accounting that I do are all small businesses, uh, and, and very few of them will benefit from the Convention Center. But I felt that it would be good for the city of Edmonton. I still feel that it would be good for the city of Edmonton. And I think all kinds of conventions can be attracted. In fact, based on the convention center, we attracted the Dominion Legion Convention to Edmonton for 78, and we had to hold it in the Kinsman Field House. And as, as uh, the chairman of the Finance Committee, I had to revise my budget from 90000 to $150,000 dollars in order to meet the additional expenses because first of all uh, the kinsman field house we we brought in 4200 delegates the kinsman field house did not have any uh, food outlets they did not have any liquid uh, refreshments they there was no transportation we had to charter buses we had to uh, pick the, all the delegates up at various hotels, bring them the, take them back. Uh, there were no... Uh, uh, a, a good convention cannot run unless it has a good contact with the, uh, refreshment outputs like the liquor stores. We had two trucks running the, uh, all day between the convention center and we were doing exactly what the airports do. As you come in in the morning, you wrote up your order, and as you left the convention at 5 o'clock in the evening for the, uh, uh, for the hotel, your order was sitting there. We had to get special permission to do that. We had to uh, spend $7,000 on PA facilities. So my budget had to go up from the original budget of 90000 to $150,000. Of course, we wound up making uh, over a $10,000 profit because we had it so well organized. And that's the first uh, legion convention in, in, in 50 years that made a profit.
0: Indeed. Um, on the 7 uh, election directly and the convention center, Mr. Schnarr, um, according to the press of the day, it said that you were against having a plebiscite on the convention center. Now, is that correct? Yes. Okay, now, why would uh, somebody who is obviously a Democrat like yourself, why would you be against the people voting on
1: it? You know, I, I'm not against the people voting on it. But I find that the plebiscites in the city of Edmonton have become a farce. We have had plebiscites on everything. That's what you elect a council for, to make a decision. You know, we had a dietwiler plan that would have given us a beautiful, beautiful plan downtown, where you've got your uh, uh, Sir Winston Churchill Park now, at a cost to the city of the equivalent of annual taxes on that place. The Dietweiler plan, I believe, called for them to build $12 million worth of facilities, which is probably $50 million worth of facilities now, at no cost to the city. It went to a plebiscite, it was voted down. Because I feel that too many people don't know what the true issue. Then we had the Omniplax where you've got, uh, where now the police station is and and the uh, all the new, uh, uh, the, the remand center and the and the new uh, law uh, services building is going up we were going to have an omniplex there for uh, what is it, 12 million or 15 million which would have given us everything we needed. A combined convention center and the uh, and the uh, um, uh, and a uh, coliseum. It would have been a miniature kingdom that they have in, the, in, uh, in the Seattle or the Astrodome that they have in so, Houston.
0: So what you're saying is you, you were just afraid that they might vote down the Convention Center. I,
1: I, I wasn't afraid but I felt that that was uh, that, that the issue would be uh, totally distorted. And uh, you know it, it's, it's very easy to be against something and you'll find out if you take a survey if you ask a person for their positive points and their negative points you'll always find out the person has twice as many negative points as positive points Mm -hmm. and therefore one person will vote against the Convention Center because it's on the brow of the hill like uh, Alderman Ledger said it should be on the north side of of Jasper Avenue instead of the south side the ecology people said it ruined the bank that bank was has been a a uh, uh, it's been a calamity ever since it's been in edmonton because that bank has never been kept clean it's too steep and the city has never properly developed that the the, the, the banks so uh, then th- there's people that are against conventions they want to keep this as a small town small t- you don't want to attract conventions then are they're, they're the businessmen who do not have a direct benefit so when you look at all the negative factors I I, I am positive that anytime you put a, 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 an item like that to vote in fact if you take a look at your LRT uh, if 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 the LRT goes to a uh, to the expansion, ever goes to a plebiscite it'll be defeated I can tell you it'll be defeated
0: you know, speaking of the LRT, you took a, a go-slow attitude to the LRT. Did you not, uh, you wanted a testing period of that's four right. or five years? No, no, that's
1: I wanted a test period of a minimum of one year to two years to evaluate it. I've ridden in subways in, in Paris and London and Moscow and Toronto and New York and uh, in uh, San Francisco. Some of them are operating very efficiently others are a disaster and I wanted to see how the Edmonton LRT was being approached and how it was being operated and I felt that okay we've got four and a half miles let's evaluate it and then they had projections I have the figures what was projected as to what they expected the ridership they said that they they were. They hope to start the ridership with 10,000 and go to 11,000 a day, then 12,000, 15, and then within six m- months they were. They would hope to have a ridership of 16,000 people a day, and that it would pay for it. You know, it would carry, it's the expectation. Well, within four months, the LRT was carrying 22,000 people a day, which is way beyond expectations and this is what I wanted to it. The other thing that I, I, I wanted to go slow is because of what has happened in regard to the Convention Center, what has happened in other projects, I, want to, I wanted to be sure that the financing was in place before we committed the expenditure of that money.
0: It's been a pretty good deal, I think, you know,
1: financially it was handled pretty well. It is, it is, and and if as long as they proceed. Now, the, the province comes in and says here's 117 million dollars, fine. They're building it from 101st Street to 109th Street. Now, they felt that that money will take him, except now they've worked in an additional station on 104th Street. Mm-hmm. And that should take him up to the foot, the north end of the high-level bridge that $117 million. Now, as soon as that is finished, could they go to the province, whatever they get, that's what they... Because there again, I don't want it to come back as a burden on the city taxpayer. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I see your point on that. Now, uh, you're also in favor of, uh, during that campaign, of revealing the sources of all campaign funds. Yes, and a complete disclosure of personal as well as business assets. That's right. Now you you were for that, so uh, it's pretty hard to to query you on that. But some of the other people weren't. Uh, can you do you think there's any valid reasons for not disclosing? No,
1: but there again, uh, you can you can extend this too far. I am for. Uh, for disclosing my own holdings. I am prepared. Uh, I can disclose it at any time. And uh, I am prepared to disclose all my donations at any time. But then, some of these people, when they get their foot into the doorway, they're not happy with it. There was a motion in council that not only is the alderman to ex- d- disclose their their uh, holdings and their contributions they're also to disclose the wife is to disclose and the immediate families to disclose Mm -hmm. now I have a son-in-law who is a vice president and a chief pilot for one of the biggest construction companies in Edmonton as a bonus they give him some shares Mm -hmm. now as an example he has two shares in the company that owns all the Boston pizza franchises in Western Canada. Mm -hmm. Therefore, because I know that my son-in-law has 2% in the Boston pizzas, every time a Boston pizza question came up in council, I couldn't vote on it because it's a conflict of interest. Now, how far do you extend that? Mm I am not afraid of my holdings. My holdings I can declare, I can also disclose my contributions, but then again, I have an association like the Civic Government Association. They canvassed their members and they raised $50,000 and they split that among 12 candidates. So if I get a portion of their money, I know I got $5,000 towards advertising from CGA. I don't know who the members of CGA are. You see, mm-hmm. and therefore I cannot fully disclose, like, like, uh, as to who may, where the money originated from, because it went through another source. In my campaign in '77, I was approached by six different groups who would give me the name, and they said, "Look, the, you have no obligation to us." But because of your stands and your policies, we would like to support you and we want you're okay to support you. We'll run an ad on your behalf. All you have to know is the organization and we'll tell you who the principals are two or three people. Like, a very, through my business associations, I used to do the accounting for uh, Mr. Brooker. And Mr. Brooker, who was a contractor in this town, was the father of Elmer and Bev Brooker mm-hmm. now I, I know Elmer and Bev Brooker since they went to university Bev Brooker is now organizing a group when he comes to me and and offers his support he says my group is prepared to support you I'm dealing with Bev. I don't know who he's got behind it would be unfair to try and 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 trace every dollar and that's why although I'm in favor of it but I'm in in favor of disclosing my portion I don't want uh, my wife's and mine are joint holdings but I've got two uh, two daughters and three sons who have their own business holdings I've got a son now that that's a project manager for a big construction company that means every time one of his projects came before council, I would have to re- refrain from voting because it's a conflict of interest.
0: Mm-hmm. I get your point. Um, you also favored increasing the number of wards. Uh, how many more wards did you want and why did you want to increase the, the wards?
1: I believe in in, in uh, representation broken down as fine as possible. And If you recall, in 1977, Ward 4, was uh, five and a half miles wide and twelve and a half miles long. Mm-hmm. It had a, popula- a, a voting population, no, it, it, it had a, a voting population of uh, some 75,000. It had a residential population of uh, something like 150,000 people it's impossible it stretched from Avenue 10 which is the south end of of Mill Woods to uh, the the Mayo Air Base now how one two or three people can adequately serve that area is beyond me and then it ran from 82nd Street to the other side of the chem cell
0: just too big you
1: figure it's much too big and therefore i favor a a more compact in fact i think that edmonton would be best served if they go into the uh, it can still be broken down by the population on the population basis but i think edmonton should have 16 wards because you can get it carried away i mean you can have 157 uh, Aldermen like they had in, in Montreal at one time, or, or Winnipeg, when they uh, joined the, the eight uh, uh, surrounding cities into the greater uh, Winnipeg. And I only, and I favor only one form of government, not like they have in Toronto, where you've got two levels of government.
0: Okay. Um, can we talk briefly, uh, Mr. Schmiller, about the uh, 1980 election?
1: Uh, perhaps a uh, less enjoyable topic. <laughs> no, to, that's fine. Right. In fact, I, I'm very happy about the 1980 election because I've been able to do so many things that I would uh, wouldn't have had an opportunity to do if I would have been elected. Indeed,
0: uh, but uh, how come you weren't elected? Everyone thought you were quite
1: Well, this is what it is, uh, you know, uh, and 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 this is something that that uh, you learn, and and it happens. In fact, in 1980. Forty-five percent of the, of the uh, municipal uh, councillors in the province of Alberta were defeated. Mm-hmm.
0: So you think it was a general anti...
1: Uh, no, it, uh, it, it, and what happens there is these people that are working... I used to devote 60 to 70 hours a week. I would attend as many as three, four functions. I, I opened up conventions. My morning used to start at 6 o'clock in the morning. I used to open up conventions at 8 o'clock because these are some of the duties. A lot of people place very little on it. In fact, this is uh, because they place so little, they they, they, they uh, tend to ignore it. But you've got a convention coming into town, you've got three, four hundred people there. And there's nobody to, expri- uh, to, to, to welcome them to the city. As an example, I went to the Lister Hall to represent the mayor to welcome the delegates To the Islamic Convention of North America. Mm -hmm. They flew in the Mufti from from uh, Lebanon. The the Lebanese ambassador from uh, uh, to the United Nations came in here. Uh, There were doctors, professors, professional people from from Mexico, from the United States and from Canada. Mm -hmm. You go down there And there was nobody to welcome them there i was the only representative there was a representative from the from the state department because of all the foreign dignitaries so you open up a convention in the morning you attend the luncheon you go to a to to a banquet in the evening you attend you open up a seminar in the evening these people are coming into town and and they feel i know when when i go to a convention when the mayor is there and the premier is there, we feel that we have been welcomed. Whereby, otherwise, you feel that you're ignored. Yes. And if you're going to continue attracting attention and business to the city, this is one of the things that you have to do. It's one of the hazards of the occupation. And I was devoting 60 to 70 hours a week. I was attending all these functions. I was meeting with groups. And I felt that I was doing everything that, that a, a, a responsible alderman was doing. And everybody said, well, look, you're so well-known, you're, you're so fully uh, 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 devoted to this job, you'll have no trouble getting uh, uh, reelected." I phoned people, and they said, look, don't bother, you're a shoe in we're going to work for somebody else. And this is exactly what happened. My own relatives said, don't bother with it. You're so well known, there'll be no problem. But unfortunately, the people, as, as, as so many people that were sure that I'd be reelected were also sure that I'd have so many votes that theirs wouldn't matter. And they didn't bother to go to vote. And therefore, in the polls where I polled 44 and 50%, I got 17 and 20%. Mm-hmm. So it was just uh,
0: overconfidence on, on
1: the part of your... Uh, overconfidence and apathy. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. I'd now, let's look into the future very briefly, uh, Mr. Schnorr, are you going to be back in city politics?
1: I don't know. I've been approached by three different groups now to consider that provincial elections are still a year away. Mm-hmm. I also I also got almost involved in federal politics, I was approached to run. In fact, I was going to run... In and Edmonton East? In Edmonton East, yeah. because until... Uh, but I, I, was, uh, uh, I would say I was a very reluctant candidate, because I... I'm involved in so many groups in Edmonton that I would prefer to stay on the local scene. But because there wasn't, we didn't think there was a suitable candidate, I was going to uh, stand. But at the last minute, we were able to recruit Mr. Lessig in East Edmonton, and he and he ran and he's been nominated. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been I've been also approached. In fact, uh, I was approached by, and this is strange, by three different parties to consider running in the provincial elections.
0: But you're, you're a Tory, aren't you? Uh,
1: <laughs> I've never I've never uh, held much for the party. I've always always worked, or my favor is I favor the uh, uh, the type of candidate who I think would be most responsive. And uh, I have at one time. Because I had very many friends in the Social Credit Party, I've supported Social Credit. I've, I've uh, uh, supported, in some cases, the NDP because of the people.
0: We have a strong union connection too with the Civil Service Association. Yes,
1: and, and when I was with the Civil Service Association, and I know all the boys. It's, it's, it's the same thing, Like, uh, but now looking at, at the, the, the reason, uh, I would say my ties with the, with the, with the Conservative Party. When I was in the real estate business for five years, my solicitor was Jerry Amaronga. Mm -hmm. So we go back to the early 50s. When I was a director of of public assistance, one of my social workers was Bill Dijek.
0: This material is a digitized audio recording from the holdings of the City of Edmonton Archives. For more information regarding the recording, please contact us by email at cms.archives at edmonton.ca by phone at 780 or on our online catalog at cityarchives.edmonton.ca